that every uh, in a dollar or rupee invested in nature actually yields a potential benefit of eight to nine times. So a multiplier of eight to nine times, wow. the standard multiplier is about four to five times. Now, this is like doubling uh, uh, your economic output. are listening to Understanding the Future podcast. I am the host Punit Gandhi and this podcast is developed in association with Climate Center for Cities under the National Institute of Urban Affairs and the Ministry of Housing and Urban Affairs. This is a podcast where we discuss about the future of work in the field of climate change, urban development, innovation and sustainability with the help of leaders and visionaries working on ground as well as in the top management of public and private sector. Our objective is to better understand the future so that we can be prepared and intervene to enable climate actions in the urban areas. Hello everyone, I am Punit Gandhi, the host of the podcast Understanding the Future. And today we have with us Mr. Ashok Jain co-founder and managing director of Terracon Ecotech Private Limited, a nature-based solution company. Mr. Ashok will help us in understanding the future of urban biodiversity. Welcome to the show, Mr. Ashok. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much, Puneet, for scheduling this podcast. And uh, I'm excited uh, to share my thoughts and views with all of you. Thank you, Mr. Ashok. So I would like to start our conversation with understanding what do we mean by urban biodiversity? Uh, is it just flora and fauna we are talking about or is it much more than that? Uh, if you can just help us understand those things. Sure. So if we take biodiversity as a generic term, yes, uh, it constitutes the flora and fauna. But it's not just flora, uh, a compilation and the presence of flora and fauna. I think the flora and fauna make a lot more sense when they are supported by an ecosystem, right? And so you have various kinds of ecosystem that supports various species. Suppose if you have a forest ecosystem, so you can have a lot of urban forests where that becomes an ecosystem and you have a certain set of flora and fauna that actually thrive in such ecosystem. You have a wetland ecosystem, right? Like mangroves or, or a lake, uh, in an urban setting. Uh, now there itself, you can have a certain set of flora and fauna uh, that thrive under that, those conditions. So when, you, when this flora and fauna com- is combined with those ecosystems, that becomes an urban biodiversity you know, settings. So when we talk about the term urban biodiversity, it means the complete flora, fauna, and the associated ecosystem and associated flora, fauna with those ecosystems that constitutes an urban biodiversity. Okay. So if you can just give us background about, okay, what are other different kinds of ecosystem which can combine with this flora and fauna? So one, you have already mentioned about forest ecosystem, wetland ecosystem, any other kind of ecosystems that come into this picture? Yeah, so, you know, you can have various kinds of ecosystem, like there is a, the human settlement self is an ecosystem. So it could be a, a setting of, you know, a lot of large buildings. And within that, you have some elements of nature associated and that becomes conducive for a certain set of uh, fauna. 
so apart from say forest which is could yeah. be an urban forest or could be there is a grassland ecosystem like you have a complete piece of land where you only have grasses yeah and that becomes an ecosystem and that also is conducive for certain type of fauna like yeah. you you know snakes or yeah butterflies they yeah. they love this kind of a setting certain yeah. types of birds they love yeah. this grassland ecosystem okay in fact the nature adopts itself you know yeah. uh, nature loves itself so it kind of creates these small uh, cocoons of itself where you have a certain comfortable species uh, of both flora and fauna that coexist and that yeah. makes that ecosystem thrive okay so how does this urban biodiversity because biodiversity i do understand it's important but when we are talking about the urban context of it how does it help the whole urban area and what all things are the advantages of this ecosystem so it's very simple we all love nature right now imagine a city which is full of concrete roads uh, glass facades and no trees compare that with an you know a surrounding area which is where you have buildings you have settlements and it's also surrounded by uh, the green areas the you know either a small forest patches or small gardens parks a water body to complement the flora that you have around you uh, yeah. now obviously if you see the quality of life for you uh, in terms of uh, a mental well-being it will be a much better in the second scenario where you can see trees when you can hear the birds chirping when you can you can actually take a stroll around the water body as yeah. compared to taking a stroll around a, a concrete road yeah or or around a glass facade buildings or any kind of a large tall structure so yeah. that's what nature does to all of us if you actually look at even you know where we we go out and uh, seek you know a, a wellness yeah it will always be a place which is surrounded by nature you want to you know go and visit nature you want to enjoy the nature and yeah. that's what you know it does when you come and talk about urban biodiversity because people love to stay in an area where there is a, a state of happiness there is a state Absolutely. of goodness and nature gives you that yeah right so that's the difference and that's the the importance of biodiversity that brings about the life in where you are staying or where you're working absolutely absolutely it does help us in you know having a better quality of life and just having this much amount of tree i also feel is important to have good amount of carbon sequestration even water bodies help us have good amount of carbon se- sequestration so how can we manage those carbon or pollution that comes up with this kind of ecosystem in cities yes so globally you know trees are considered to be the carbon sinks you know and they absorb the carbon dioxide which is emitted by humans or through any of the activities of the human beings and cities uh, you know uh, it's it's almost uh, the statistic says that almost 75% uh, of the carbon emissions are generated in urban areas globally yeah wow so obviously we uh, cities becomes you know the the center of uh, ghg emissions and carbon emissions and that's where 
you know you need trees because they are the ones which is going that are going to sequester the carbon for us and release oxygen so they help us in two ways one they take out you know carbon from the atmosphere yeah. and then they release oxygen uh, in lieu of that which is what is helpful for us so that is why there is a feeling of you know happiness goodness because you feel nice you know you can breathe comfortably as compared to breathing carbon you can actually breathe oxygen absolutely let's talk about the carbon sequestration obviously as you have correctly put the trees you know they they sequester almost 70% of the terrestrial you know carbon uh, that exists uh, even the oceans and wetlands they sequester yeah. far more carbon uh, and if you actually look at if you compare uh, the regions i think almost two third of the world of, of the global surface uh, of the yeah. planet surface is actually oceans yeah and uh, they become the biggest uh, one of the biggest because of the marine ecosystem uh, and the flora that exists uh, you know at the bottom of many of these oceans they are able to absorb carbon in a in a huge capacity uh, i think almost 60 to 65% of the global carbon is actually absorbed and sequestered by the marine uh, life and whatever is there on the terrestrial part which is say one third of the surface Uh, trees become your second best bet to sequester carbon great that that sounds interesting so coming uh, exactly on those lines about trees and we as in climate smart cities assessment framework that we also have uh, one activity which is now very important for every urban area is to map trees now if you can just help us understand that because your company has helped map more than 10 million trees so you guys already know how to do it so if you can give us a brief technicality on those lines what is mapping of trees how do we map it and what all things do we map in the whole services so that's a very good point uh, neet i think before uh, we start understanding any form of life it's very important that we actually inventorize you know that form of life it, it so is true with human senses like we have to we must have a human senses it's very important to have a, a census uh, or inventorization of trees now while it's mandatory in some states it may not be mandatory you know by law in some states but however uh, from ecological point of view from planning point of view it's 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 an important exercise to inventorize trees now how do we do it you know earlier i think if you look at 10 years back the tree census used to be manual so each tree used to be physically visited and the recordings various attributes like height age birth species identification all these were noted on a piece of paper however since last 10 years from 2009 uh, when we initiated the first gps enabled you know tree census and uh, it's it's a completely digital tree census where the data uh, by physically visiting each tree uh, and all the data that you are observing or collecting uh, regarding each tree is physic you know entered on a on a gps device uh, now it could be a, a high end gps device or it could be a mobile phone uh, over the last 4 uh, or 5 years you know mobile phones have become really smarter uh, and are able to give us the gps accuracy as good as the gps devices so you can choose any form of uh, device and you are able to enter uh, all the attributes and we collect almost 10 to 12 attributes 
uh, of okay. each tree, uh, right from the canopy shape to the canopy diameter to the fruiting uh, that is available on that tree, uh, including some of the important ones like height, age, girth, which helps us uh, calculate the carbon sequestration potential for each tree. And this is how the exercise uh, is done. Once the data is collected on the mobile phone, all that data is then uploaded onto a web-based application. We have a, a proprietary application which houses all this data. And this data, uh, the web-based application then helps us cross-check the data, uh, evaluate the data, do the analytics about the data. So we, we can actually filter the data that we want to find out you know, trees that are more than 100 years old or to find out trees that are of ecological importance, like trees which are uh, rare, trees which are endemic. Uh, so we can actually physically pinpoint those trees on the map. Okay. And that also helps us uh, preparing a conservation plan or at least intimating the local bodies uh, as to how that they need to look after these trees because they are endemic, they are important, they are ecologically sensitive. So this is how actually tree inventorization is carried out. And it is of immense use by all the urban local bodies. Absolutely. And I'm also assuming like this kind of information might also help in estimating the amount of water that would be required, amount of uh, work that would be required by the local bodies to be taken up in future to manage or increase them or maintain them. Yes, Puneet, that's correct. So the, the, the data can always be broken into, you know, a, a various either wards uh, or zones or divisions, depending on the, what the system the city follows. Uh, and then we can do a ward-wise analysis or a zone-wise analysis in terms of, we can compare it with human population. We can compare it maybe in an area, how much trees should be there as part of uh, a norm, standard norm. The standard norm would be that, you know, uh, the cities need to have, say, say 30 to 33% trees. So you can do, you know, a zone-wise or a section-wise analysis, whether the tree, whether the zones have adequate number of trees uh, based on the numbers that, that actually do. And then you can also identify the areas or identify the gaps uh, where the trees need to be planted wherever you have uh, additional space, uh, uh, land, which is available for you for plantation. And all these comparisons and analysis uh, is possible when you have a, a GPS-based tree inventorization data readily available with you, because then you are easily able to plot it on the map. And, and also you can plot uh, or you can superimpose other layers like, like the population data uh, or any other data which is of ecological importance and then make the action plan accordingly. To give you a classic example, we are uh, doing a you know, urban forestry plan for one of the you know, ULBs. And this tree inventorization data is helping us a lot because then we are able to prepare plans at the smallest unit, you know, one square kilometer area. We are able to actually evaluate where the trees are needed, where the human settlements are, where the uh, pollution profile is, and accordingly choose the species, choose the space and plant the trees so that over a period of five to 10 years, you are able to actually secure that area. Even a, yeah. a, a you know, minute level or a unit of one square kilometer zone. Yeah. So that's how uh, you know, this, this information really helps for city planners. 
that that's wonderful uh, can we then do it just based on satellite or do we also have to have human intervention of going and actually checking it or how does that function so the tree inventorization that we are doing currently it in it entails a detailed physical verification exercise so okay. each tree is physically visited in some cases even the photographs uh, or the images uh, of the trees are captured and all the attributes are collected and and this visit is done by a trained botanist so that he is able to identify the species he is able to identify the problems if there are any with each tree okay uh, we have insisted on this exercise being carried out by trained botanists but you know moving forward as uh, more and more ulbs take interest in carrying out this exercise and even you know some industries uh, have approached us to carry out the tree inventorization that exists in this uh, there is going to be a tremendous shortage of trained botanists to you know spread out in the field and and help you with collecting physical observations so moving forward i think over the next 3 to 5 years uh, or maybe more uh, i see that most of these inventorization processes can be carried out using a drone uh, survey mm. and then you know the data then can be interpreted in terms of species identification and all that and that that's how you know the future is going to be of uh, the tree inventorization you may not need to visit each individual trees physically uh, yeah. but that's probably you know 2 3 years away depending on how the technology pro- progresses but yeah. we have seen and we have also experimented with some drone surveys where uh, we are still finding it difficult to you know get that exact images uh, to identify some species but okay. i i'm sure the technology will improve over a period of time and we are able to actually carry out drone surveys to do Uh, to finalize our data of tree inventorization that that sounds really interesting and i would like to come back on it uh, again before we close but next question i have is on mapping of water bodies uh, because yes trees are more in number but water body again are very complex like they can be big they can be small the depth of the water body and everything so how do you map those things what are the different physical parameters that you map Uh, of water bodies interesting you know mapping of water bodies like trees uh, they are also you know important natural resource uh, for any area and more so with city uh, where you have to actually supply water to the citizens as also water bodies uh, globally are part of you know the the amusement center or the entertainment centers yeah so uh, we have recently carried out an inventorization of water body for uh, the mmr region uh, the mumbai yeah. metropolitan uh, and we've carried out the survey for say about 2300 odd water bodies wow. uh, again the team uh, you know and a diverse team because you need a biodiversity expert uh, you need ideally an, an engineer and also a life science uh, student to actually go and visit the water body and then you collect important aspects uh, and information regarding the water body and typically this information is you know how whether the water body in you know apart from collecting you know the the boundary that you have to actually plot it on a map we also collect information like uh, whether there is an encroachment you know of the water body uh, and in terms of whether 
native biodiversity that is surrounding that water body. So how ecologically sensitive the water body is uh, in terms of becoming an important habitat for birds or, or even the marine uh, or the aquatic ecosystem. We also collect information like, you know, if, if any sewage water is being drained into the water body, what are the, you know, the, uh, the outlets for managing the floods? Whenever the water body overflows, it obviously ends up flooding, you know, the, the nearby areas. So how, what is that mechanism? What is the catchment, tentative catchment of that water body? Is there any, uh, en- you know, encroachment or any disturbances to this catchment area? Because obviously, the more the disturbances, the, the water body obviously gets affected uh, because it does not get the water during monsoon. It's not able to harvest the water. So these, these are several parameters. And in some key water bodies where we feel, I think the, the, the water quality uh, is also sampled. We, we take samples of the water body and send it to laboratories for you know, the water-related tests like BODES and all that. So we also, you know, the physical chemical uh, analysis is carried out for select water bodies. Uh, depending on the the requirements uh, that we need, we have for each water body. And do we also then try and uh, map the biodiversity of that water body? That what kind of fishes do they have, and plants do they have? Yeah. And so what kind uh, of BOD they can uh, have, so that is this a good water body, or can it sustain? How much can it sustain, basically? Yes, as I told you, we we do carry out the ecological uh, survey, uh, you know, yeah. and uh, when we yeah. do, we identify the water body as ecologically sensitive or ecologically not so sensitive. And whenever a water body is classified as ecologically sensitive, obviously it needs that detailed uh, analysis uh, in terms of how it supports the aquatic ecosystem, how it supports various birds how it supports the, uh, the native, uh, you know, flora. And then, you know, so each of these water bodies, uh, we try and classify these water bodies at water bodies that require interventions, water bodies that are very good conditions and probably needs conservation. And, you know, water bodies that are eco- ecologically sensitive, we need to probably, you know, protect them, preserve them and, and probably improve the habitat. Uh, and also water bodies that are encroached and, you know, yeah. they need to be uh, taken care of by the ULBs. So, uh, you know, you, the classification is based on what kind of intervention that we need to actually carry out for each of these water bodies. True. So that kind of uh, raises kind of a flag for the ULBs yeah. in terms of the way forward to handle that water body. And when the number is large, obviously, it's very difficult to uh, get into the specifics of these water bodies. But the idea is once you, once you know that these are the water bodies that requires your immediate attention, uh, and these are the interventions which need to be carried out, you are, you know, your efforts can be directed towards addressing those issues uh, on an urgent basis. And obviously, depending on the budget levels of each ULBs or the priorities at each ULB, one can carry out the necessary interventions, restoration efforts, beautification efforts in some cases. Absolutely. That sounds, that sounds amazing. And the amount of detail that goes into each mapping of either green cover or water body is immense. Uh, so coming back to the technology part, because that does excite me and that does sound interesting to me that drones are possible, possibly the future, which will help us 
monitor not just trees i guess but water bodies as well because it will become much more easier and i am assuming the kind of technology that we might be looking at is one is photographic uh, as well as lidar imaging to understand the width girth everything just by flying around as well as I, i'm not sure uh, if that can also work in the depth of the water body or do we need something else to map the depth of the water body yeah so uh, you know depth is you know we we are yet to come across normally you understand the depth and uh, you know the topography of the water body by yeah. uh, using uh, taking the bathymetry you know survey yeah uh, that's a much more detailed uh, exercise uh, however you know i'm sure the technology will evolve where uh, you know through the drone we are able to kind of estimate the you know the depth of each of these water bodies at the the, the peak depth of the water body and and things related data which is physically not possible today one needs to actually carry out a geotechnical survey and all that which is may not be possible when you are inventorizing tree uh, yeah. of this size uh, but obviously when you are doing it for one or two or five water bodies it's possible to carry out those uh, survey but i'm excited i'm equally excited about the technology you know that's unfolding for all of us and yeah. uh, i'm sure in in 2 3 years time uh, we will have a technology which can give us lot more data you know by just flying flying drone uh, you know taking images which are crystal clear uh, and, and i i i'm sure that day day is not far absolutely because that just makes it's so much more easier to map so many more things at a faster rate which we cannot do today and i think that is much more required than ever before so coming again to the point of ghg emissions and how these kind of urban biodiversity help in reducing them do you think carbon neutral cities are possible because eventually these are the factors which act as sink uh, and then we are the emitters we emit everywhere in every possible format so do you feel how uh, carbon neutral cities are possible as well as how if yes how are they possible no well, certainly we have been uh, you know very strong and vocal advocates of carbon neutrality uh, be it for industries and more so with cities we have you know we we've already understood the importance of biodiversity climate change that impacts most of our cities because we well in most of our cities and most of these cities and we understand the issues uh, you know whether it's related to health whether it's re- related to mental well being and all those so we you know we have been working on this carbon neutrality aspect o- over the last 4 5 years and we have developed our own model as to uh, how cities can towards carbon neutrality and it's very much possible you know we recently heard of how infosys has gone about uh, targeting carbon neutrality and they have been able to actually achieve carbon neutrality in yeah. in you know 20 years ahead of their uh, schedule yeah. so uh, if they, if if a company uh, which is committed you know to becoming a carbon neutral company and if they can achieve this feat you know 20 years uh, ahead of its schedule i'm sure the cities can you know at least achieve this Uh, if not ahead of the schedule at least on time uh, and and each of these cities can actually target uh, becoming carbon neutral over a period of time for to improve the quality of the life of the people uh, to improve the these the environment the social environment the uh, ecological factors 
uh, and all that i think is very very essential for cities to become livable and i think you know there is a lot more talked about uh, the livability of each of each of these cities now coming to carbon neutrality as to how we can become so it's very simple uh, as i told you i think to you know plan any interventions or plan any sort of effort you need to inventorize what what is the problem right so yeah. it starts with inventorization of uh, ghg emissions uh, at the city level and there are standard protocols which are available as to how you can do it it's not a rocket science there is a proven uh, process uh, and globally cities have been doing ghg uh, footprinting at the city level so once you have the footprint city duly mapped you project it you know that over a 5 year 10 year period what that footprint is going to be for that city depending on uh, the variables like the population growth the development agenda of the cities uh, and all this is possible i think you have the models which can actually project it for you once you know what my carbon footprint uh, is for the city in over a 5 year or a 10 year period then the next process for you is how i can systematically reduce my footprint that's the first step yeah. and you have you know technologies now available in terms of energy efficiency introducing energy efficiency measures uh, awareness in terms of energy conservation uh, and then obviously the renewables introduction of the renewables that means replacing you know the the fossil fuel based energy uh, generation with the renewable or the clean energy uh, and this is how obviously you are able to systematically reduce your ghg emissions over a period of time maybe say you can project it for 5 to 10 years uh, you will still be left with some gap no. right uh, because you probably cannot achieve uh, zero because you will still need to uh, have lot more energy you know that is used at the city level this gap is what needs to be sequestered as we spoke about it earlier uh, this yeah. gap is what uh, needs to be sequestered by the ecosystems by the nature that you have in these cities and more so with the trees that you have because it's easy to for you to calculate carbon sequestration at the tree uh, individual unit level uh, tree level so then because of uh, and we have already seen how the inventorization of trees can actually help us uh, give us a figure of carbon sequestration through the trees that you have within the yeah. city so once you and you project it and there are models available uh, uh, for projecting the carbon sequestration of these trees the inventorized trees that you have for a period of 5 to 10 years and then you compare what will still be the gap yeah right in 5 years or 10 years hence uh, what will be the the gap even after sequestration of the carbon through the trees the existing trees that you have and that is the gap is what you have to manage by planting more trees uh, by introducing ecological features nature in your city yeah and if you do it perfectly i think it's very very simple task that over a period of next 5 to 10 years you can plan it today and you can systematically introduce those ecological features including plantation of trees to actually reach a level where you are able to neutralize the your ghg foot and that's how you can actually become a carbon neutral city absolutely and uh, i think that is really important as well because if we don't map out uh, how how much we are going to emit we will not be able to plant trees today which will eventually have to grow up over next 10 years to be able to sequester that much amount 
if you can just i don't know the numbers but just for the audience if you have any idea on numbers that if i plant today how much a sapling would sequester compared to a 10 year old tree uh no puneet i uh, don't have a exact data but say a sapling obviously will sequester a very insignificant amount of uh, carbon because yeah. you know the the morphological feature of the sapling uh, are not grown enough to kind of absorb uh, and sequester that carbon but as that sapling actually keeps growing uh, over a period of 2 years 3 years 5 years and then 10 years and kind of reaches a a, a stage where uh, it has fully grown leaves and 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 a canopy beautiful canopy it is obviously able to sequester and the sequestration data is is right from uh, you know a tree say a 5 or a 10 year old uh, fully grown tree uh, can sequester anywhere from 5 10 kgs annually yeah to about 200 kgs annually wow and i'm sure in some instances it can even be higher yeah. uh, so you know that's the variation and that variation depends on various species it depends on which species are you planting and how that species kind of grows up over a period of time so see sequestration is just one of the benefit that you actually get through the trees it's not the only benefit that you get i mean yeah. the trees can you know benefit you in terms of providing various kinds of ecosystem services uh, it actually gives you the fruits it gives you the flowers they are of importance culturally to you uh they release oxygen obviously that's one of the biggest stuff they also end up improvising your soil in terms of soil retention conservation uh you know trend uh, additions to your soil uh they maintain the the ecological cycle that is very important all kinds of flora and fauna to actually you know survive and thrive uh, around yeah. you so it's it's these are fantastic you know features that you know the trees can actually give and so therefore all these is additional for you if you can just sequester the carbon uh, and make your cities neutral carbon neutral all these benefits are actually going to accrue naturally to you absolutely punit uh, i also have you know a very interesting analogy i think uh, sure. over the last 10 12 years of my you know study uh, about uh, you know the ecosystems the trees in detail and also the global studies that have been carried out and you know i'm not alone but uh, there have been studies that have proven that investment every unit of investment in a tree yeah has a potential return over its lifetime no other asset class actually gives you that kind of a return wow. it can be in in multiples of thousands uh wow. to give you a simple example to plant a tree and to maintain a tree say for a period of 3 to 5 years uh, yeah. till the time tree actually survives uh, and thrives uh, after that it takes care on its own it doesn't need that maintenance uh, you will end up spending maybe 500 rupees or 1000 rupees or 2000 rupees depending on where you are planting the tree and you know uh, yeah. uh, what species are you planting but that investment of 500 to 2000 rupees can actually give you a value which can even be in crores in some cases over its lifetime now you can't have this kind of a return for any other asset class absolutely that that's just fascinating number for me as well because eventually the tree helps you 
retain more water which is again a scarce resource in today's world it helps you lower down your heat in the cities which is again important to reduce your electricity bills and yeah it's right. the amount of advantages that are there are obviously much more than the disadvantage we can even talk about and i'm not sure if there can be any disadvantage on these lines so coming to one of the last questions that we generally ask everyone is the different kind of skill sets because it is something important for i feel that the audience needs to know and understand uh if they want to enter in this field what kind of courses they can study what kind of skills they can apply so one of the things that we did talk about was having botanist having life sciences people engineers systems like uh, or products like drone which will be important in the future so can you maybe briefly tell us what all if other kind of skill sets would also be required or kind of jobs this urban biodiversity field could create in the future yeah in fact uh, you know my observations or our observation as an as an organization uh, is uh, that you know there is a dearth of professionals uh, committed passionate professionals uh, to carry out this agenda of greening cities which means obviously enhancing the improving the urban biodiversity uh, we haven't seen you know many professionals coming up uh, and thriving in that so uh, i think while conservation is considered as more of an you know activism however you can uh, any professional can play a very constructive role in in greening or improving urban biodiversity and that point needs to be you know driven strongly in in the younger minds i think in terms of skill sets uh, probably we 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 already have you know some of these curriculum uh, existing in, as part of the university programs what i think is needed uh, to make these programs more effective uh, is actually to expose the students and the professionals more to the the field work expose them in terms of practical application of those knowledges that they acquire in the university i think that is what i find missing because everyone who has joined us as a fresher from the college we have to take a lot of effort in you know investing in these people training these people and exposing them to the the practical orientation of the skill set which they have acquired uh, otherwise in a classroom so i think it's more of you know orienting them more to the field work and and orienting them to how they can use their skill set in practical application i think that's where you know probably there has to be more interaction between the industry and the academy academia yeah in terms of how the students can be equipped for applying their knowledge rather than just acquiring the knowledge yeah and that that's true that's true we have been as well in the last year of my work as well we have also tried that okay as much as possible if applied research comes into play it will improve the ecosystem in lot many more ways than we can think of it's just the amount of exposure that will build up for the new generation will be exponential and eventually they will end up thinking new things that we have never thought of i think which is a lot more important uh so any any last thoughts would you have before parting off certainly uh i think there's a you know over the last few years of uh, having spent uh, you know my time 
on uh, this organization and also at at large the the entire space of ecology and biodiversity i strongly believe that for india as a country for it to grow uh, more sustainably i think we need to focus a lot on you know nature protecting nature identifying nature related risks and introduce interventions wherever we can mitigate those risks and it's all about managing your nature well because in case of india two thirds of our economic output actually is dependent on nature uh, and na- this includes the entire food chain uh, the entire uh, natural fiber chain uh, the entire you know the pharmaceutical value chain if you look at all this and including the furniture fixtures the the mining industry it all is an outcome of what we in, have inherited as nature the moment you start disturbing it obviously the impact of this uh, you know will be felt and will be constraining a factor for future generations and nature has the potential you know i have put this in one of my uh, blogs uh, and it has been statistically proven by the world economic forum that every uh, in a dollar or rupee invested in nature actually yields a potential benefit of 8 to 9 times so a multiplier of 8 to 9 times from the you know the economic output that you can actually generate uh, for each unit to spend normal uh, in economics you know we use the the standard multiplier is about 4 to 5 times now this is like doubling uh, uh, your economic output uh, so it's it's the investment in nature is actually uh, one of the best things that uh, you know one can carry out and obviously if you are part of the city and investing in in the uh, nature uh, around you in the city can really help us uh, you know cities become more you know resilient to climate change uh, it can become more sustainable inclusive uh, all kinds of benefits so i think that's my uh, uh, last few words uh, of the knowledge that i have acquired or at least the information that i have been private to thank you thank you mr ashok this surely is a great amount of knowledge that we got today and i learned a lot from this conversation i hope our audience has also been able to learn uh, new things about the urban biodiversity and i hope the nature based solutions we do apply as much as possible for the future thank you mr ashok You have been listening to Understanding the Future podcast. To know more about Climate Center for Cities, visit us at www.c-q.niua.org and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. The show is conceptualized, hosted and produced by Punit Gandhi. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast and Spotify. So don't forget to subscribe to podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thank you and stay tuned for the next episode.